Buonasera. My name is Marcello. I am a tour leader with Explore. Ciao. Come, follow me. Behind this 200-year-old gate is the best view of one of Rome's finest fountains. Ah, oh, bellissima. Look at the Renaissance detail, the sunlight in the bronze. Not everyone knows about Turtle Fountain, but you will if you explore. Search exploreworldwide.co.uk and don't just travel. Explore. Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics, the twice-weekly podcast with me, Steve Richards. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are and during your no-doubt packed schedule. And as ever, we've got a lot to cram in in our time together. Just one notice from me, then we'll go over to our theme and interview which relates to climate change. I get so many emails saying, please do more on climate change. So we'll be doing that in a way that delves deep in a very short moment of time. Uh, So that's it. Yeah, that is what we're going to do in our time together, if it's okay with all of you. So one notice, thank you so much for those of you who subscribe to the Patreon version of the Rock and Roll Politics podcast. I'll be announcing early next week what the bonus podcast will be. Uh, And in the meantime, as ever, we're going to name check some of those of you who kindly subscribe. Uh, Today, it's thank you to Maggie Fletcher, Philip Gilfus, Patricia Munn, Nick Bath, and Philip Martin. Thank you very much. And as I say, bonus will be announced early next week. Now, climate change. Some of you say, why? This is the overwhelming issue of our times. And yet there you are trying to make sense of the crazy state of the governing party and the weird mood of the Labour Party. Climate change, climate change, it's overwhelming. And you're right, and the dilemmas also are fascinating. Uh, Because every now and again, like when we had the COP gathering in Glasgow, there appears to be a consensus, even in the UK, around its centrality. And then the consensus begins to split. So we have at the moment the Daily Mail campaigning to extend the deadline for the end of petrol use in cars. Uh, We have Rishi Sunak seemingly relatively indifferent to the topic. We have the Labour Party proudly proclaiming its £28 billion green recovery programme and then announcing they're not going to borrow the money early on in a government. So where are we and what can we as individuals do? And in a way, that's the theme of a film out at the moment. It's a a brilliant film because it explores some of the dilemmas, the personal dilemmas, really. It's called My Extinction, and it's directed uh, by Josh Opinionese, who also stars in it, and he's uh, with us now. Josh, thanks so much for coming in and exploring this incredibly, overwhelmingly important theme, but a complex one. What is fascinating about your film is, in a way, you explore some of the complexities. Here are you, a film director, doing well and you decide to focus a film on your kind of journey with Extinction Rebellion, but not a journey of complete, unqualified commitment. Every now and again, you stop and reflect, God, I've got an offer here, but it involves (laughs) 
taking money from Esso and things like this, but you don't rule it out at first. It takes your wife to rule it out. So explore your thinking as you approach the film and what you were trying to do with it and this theme. Gosh, well, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Where did it start? It started in 2019. And I suppose that the, the, the theme emerged as I, as I shot it because it's a documentary. And so you see, sort of see where you go. But I had a notion um, that, that kept hitting me, which is not so much what do we do about climate, um, but why is it that we don't do anything about climate? Uh, um, why is it that we feel the word you used, I think, was overwhelmed? Um, and it is an overwhelming knowledge because it's an extinction level knowledge. You know, an election, well, four years later, you know, we'll see. But with climate, it's just going to be four years worse <laughs> and four years less time at the current, uh, following the current trends. And, and I guess I, I found that the answers were less to do with information um, because we all have the information. Some of us may radically deny it, but most of us accept the information and are fairly well informed. It's more about feelings and feelings, as we know, are very powerful, and they overlap with identities. You know, I'm not uh, a politician, I'm not even political, I'm not a social scientist, um, I'm none of those things. I'm just, I suppose, uh, I, I suppose I started out as a sort of guilty dad who who does make films. And um, I thought, I'll use, I, I'm not, you know, Louis III, I don't go around meeting loads of people and having sort of intense discussions, although I do do that, but I do it from the point of view of just, I'm me, and I know you, shall we talk about this? Because I wanted to show the intimate side of these conversations that, you know, everyone's having at home um, in, in, in all kinds of different ways. And and uh, and so I use myself as the material. So I put myself in the film, which I've done before, um, I have form, to see, you know, what is that like? And is there a journey there worth telling? Is there a sort of arc of a, a story? Um, you know, the film opens with me losing a big job I thought I was going to get, getting very angry and frustrated, and then driving my car a lot and swearing at people because there's traffic. And it turns out the traffic is because of Extinction Rebellion blocking the roads, and I'm furious about it. Um, so in a sense, if you like, if you're switched on to climate, I'm kind of, in a way, playing the baddie. Um, uh, you know, the the, the white, uh, fairly privileged, um, certainly educated uh, man um, who uh, who is cross. Uh, about a lot of things. And we should be uh, cross, of course, about a lot of things. But where does that anger go? Um, so that that's kind of the starting point. Yeah, absolutely. You set it up with you being furious with Extinction Rebellion. But then you join them or join some of the protests. Um, and you join them as a participant. And obviously, you're filming it as a, a director, which must have been really challenging. I mean, to sort of be both, or, or were you acting as a participant? Well, it, it, it starts out, I dip a toe. I mean, I, I suppose it is it is difficult, though I, I sort of have figured out how to do it. Um, <laughs> maybe not that many people do do it this way, but it is it is possible. I suppose in, I, I come from originally from anthropology, and, and there's this notion of the participant observer. And I suppose I, I see myself that way, so that you're both in and but then sort of monitoring your own reactions and, and so on. Um, I mean, the film is meant to be funny, which is, again, intentional. It's partly because I can sort of play up the funny because I, I, I also come from a kind of comedy background. Um, but also because, you know, you cannot cut through on this stuff if you want to preach outside the converted, mm. if there's not some other register than guilt or, uh, you know, sort of a, a slightly false hope, 
it's a tub thumping yeah. and so on that you know these films become worthy if we can't relate to a protagonist who's flawed if we can't laugh along with his failures um because you know we're all we're all failing so yeah it's sometimes as a camera person mostly i just shoot it myself um yeah <laughs> so so to uh convey some of the scenes there's <laughs> there's a scene where a lot of very well-known writers are at a protest which ends i think with simon sharma reading and torrential rain descends and <laughs> again you both laugh and think oh yeah wow these are big names joining this protest and then you all gather separately at uh, tufton street the headquarters of various right-wing think tanks hugely influential over the last few years some of which challenged the premise of uh, climate change and so you really do get involved in some of the kind of central protests of the period when you were filming that is where the journey leads yeah the arc is from somebody who's guilty um, but sort of paralyzed maybe by that guilt or or anxiety or fury or, or whatever and therefore does nothing, which I think is almost everyone I know, except for a few people. Um, and that was really trying to figure out the question of why don't people do anything? What is that overwhelming, inassimilable, almost traumatic knowledge? And how can we use those feelings to then do something else with them? Um, and the answer I find is, well, you do something else with them by sharing those feelings rather than pushing them aside, which is just denial. It might be a functional denial or it might be a sort of soft, you know, lefty denial. But essentially, I can't take this. The way that you deal with that is that you share that with other people, starting with my wife, who <laughs> long suffering and listens and talks and is also as much in despair about the future of our young children as, as I am and so on. And then sharing with different milieu, including, you know, groups of climate activists, um, who turn out to be, and I sort of want to de detoxify the movements in the film, turn out to be quite fluffy, very nice, and very much like me, not necessarily in terms of class, but in having real concerns. But the difference is they're sitting in a, in a church hall or, or a community centre once a week and giving up a, a, a night of Netflix to actually sit with human beings, have a drink and talk, and then see what can be done. And out of that, these feelings of uh, impotence, um, rage, whatever they might be, despair, you know, are transformed because feelings change when you share them. It's a sort of psychoanalytic point, a crucial sort of psychotherapeutic point. And they transform and then and then action becomes possible. And so then I do start to take action. You know, I go to trainings where they teach you how to kind of react to police when they're shouting at you, um, you know, at a protest and, and what your rights are and, and so on. And there I meet people who really are feeling the feelings that at some level I'm not very good at feeling. I, you know, I'm a middle-aged man. I don't really like my feelings that much. I'd rather not have them, thanks. But then people who are better at them are there and release that. And so then also, you know, so what should we do? Well, you know, I know a lot of writers. That's my milieu. You know, do the thing if you're interested in doing climate action and uh, something I want to talk about more. Do the thing you're good at already. You know, if you're a podcaster, do a podcast on it. If you're a baker, bake some cakes and take them to your local climate group, you know. So I'm a filmmaker. So I start to think, well, can I gather some writers together who I know Um and this is all down to a group called Writers Rebel. They're not technically XR, they're sort of XR adjacent. Um, and they are concerned authors, poets, journalists, and so on, who you know think, well, we really need to do something about it. It's an emergency. What can we do? We can write and we can speak. And words are really important. Telling the truth is really important. So I, I got involved with those groups for a while and, and made that film. And yes, uh, one of the protests, the sort of culmination of the film is outside 55 Tufton Street, um, which... Uh, 
is it okay to use the word cabal? Um, I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. not a word I particularly like, but it feels <laughs> it feels a little bit fitting because you know they're all um, all these groups from hard Brexit groups to kind of hard uh, right economics think tanks, um, highly influential at the top levels of government, revolving door with government. You know there are lords, there are um, you know ex editors of the Telegraph, there are uh, plenty of MPs who are either either on their boards or frequently at their meetings and so on. And this is starting to become better known, partly because, you know, we try to put it out there, um, that information, those investigations, how those opaquely funded bodies uh, actually get their money, which does turn out to be oil or oil adjacent groups. They're basically an oil lobby uh, disguised as a charity and a think tank. And they, uh, yeah, they've, they've done a lot <laughs> yeah. to uh, derail uh, climate action in a whole host of ways. Namaskaram. My name is Nayad. I'm a tour leader with Explore. Come, follow me for a breakfast. You will never forget. Namaste. <laughs> because you are going to make an incredible masala dosa under the watchful eye of my mom. Each home adds their special touches. But not everyone gets to join in a traditional family meal. You will if you explore. For global adventures, search exploreworldwide.co.uk and don't just travel, explore. How's it? My name is Lassetti. I'm a tour leader with Explore. Come on, let me show you something. Oh, careful. Can you see it? Oh, trust me. It can see you. There, between the trees. It's not every day you get to see a rhino on a walk. I guess not everyone is taken to the right places. But you will be, if you explore. For global adventures, search exploreworldwide.co.uk and don't just travel. Explore. What did you learn about the nature of protest while making the film? Because I get a lot of emails from uh, listeners to this podcast who say, you know, okay, we went on a protest rather like yours and we behaved ourselves and we got no media publicity. Um, and yet if you disrupt, say, a cricket match or something, you get publicity. Uh, but you can alienate people like you were alienated at the beginning of this film. So have you learnt about what you think anyway is the most effective forms of protest in this field? I think the jury is out um, because we don't know what will work. And so I think it's a both and thing rather than an either or thing. We have to try everything. And there are violent sometimes disagreements or maybe just short of violence, you know, within ecological movements about the best way to do that. And those those are ongoing. If you look at the trajectory of Extinction Rebellion itself, which is now trying to kind of rebrand as a moderate group that doesn't uh, use arrests and disruption as a direct tactic anymore. And uh, Just Stop Oil are the kind of headline grabbers with their, their um, naughty or, if you prefer, despicable actions. I mean, I, I can tell you about my own personal sense of essentially having become more political and more knowledgeable about, for example, the history of civil rights movements, which do generally, if they're going to work, for better or for worse, do contain a radical fringe component. And that seems to be quite a necessary historical fact. You know, when Martin Luther King showed up, and I know the comparison only goes so far, but he was a hate figure, criminalized, really loathed, obviously a saint now, 
Um, then, uh, you know, Malcolm X came along and suddenly people were like, well, actually, maybe Martin Luther King's all right, actually. Maybe we should deal with the devil we know who actually is not that scary. And so the moderate flank and the radical fringe, you know, historically speaking, often use and need each other. The suffragettes is another great example. We think of them as fairly fluffy, but they did some pretty scary things. People got hurt. Um, there were bombs, you know, um, uh, alongside a, a more moderate sort of flank as well. So, so, and now heroized. So, I, you know, we can't always look at groups who've done bad things and say, well done them, they got the change they wanted and just say, that's fine. Um, but, but at the same time, you know, we need to do something now. So I, I, it's a running joke in the film, right? I join in with these groups. I get to know people. They're great. But some of them are saying to me over and over again, so we're doing this thing next week. I don't know if you want to know about it, because if I tell you, then, you know, you'll you'll be uh, a party to conspiracy. But um, we're going to, you know, do X. And would you like to come and join? It's an arrestable action. And I say, oh, I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to really love to. I'm just a bit busy, you know, with the uh, with the MA dissertations at my uni at the moment. But it's a tricky time. And my kids got this camp. And But, but you know, I, I'm really working towards it. And, so, and of course, I never do get arrested. And frankly, I have no intention at this stage in my life, at least, of, of, of getting arrested, um, even though I can see that it's often very effective uh, tool in the sort of panoply of tools. Yeah. I mean, your your personal dilemmas are, are really interesting. So I mentioned at the beginning, uh, you had the chance of getting some deal, but it involved by directly or indirectly, uh, Esso were involved, weren't they? And you, and you say to your wife, as part of the film is you and your wife sitting exploring all these dilemmas and you say well look, i might as well do it someone's going to take the money so why don't we do it and she said you can't you can't and as you say also you don't want to get arrested for all kinds of career reasons apart from anything else and these are the kind of dilemmas there were you sort of a convert still fraught with dilemmas in this area of, of how you navigate all the kind of things that are going to come your way yeah um, I, I guess just showing that a little bit, um, I, you know, I, there I was, it was, you know, the irony was too good to pass up. So there I was sort of on the barricade, so to speak, at Trafalgar Square with all these speakers and doing these protests, which some of which were lawbreaking, not myself. Um, and, uh, and then pretty much the next day, you know, I got a text from the commercials production house that I, you know, sometimes get me work. And there was a, a job potential job from from ESO and obviously at some level this is greenwashing because they've got a lot of money they pour a lot of it into their advertising budgets that make them seem all fluffy and nice as all the oil companies do um and of course you know why would you want to do that on the other hand it's quite a lot of money and I needed the job and we all need a job we live in a carbon economy you know and um it's you know, if you work in various fields, at some level, you're going to be complicit. In fact, we're all complicit because we all use banks. Uh, even if we don't drive cars, we're in a car economy. I mean, we're all carbon sinners. Um, uh, but, you know, as my wife said, yeah, but do you really want to give, donate all your passion and, 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 and intelligence and creativity to ESO after all you now know? Is that okay? And I said, but, you know, I drive a car, right? I haven't given up my car. Maybe drive it a tiny bit less, but basically drive a car. And so on, you know, this is hypocrisy. But so you, you have to see the film to see what happens. But I mean, yeah. maybe it's not such a spoiler to say that yeah. <clears throat> things, things change for me and I, I start to do other things. Um, it's not, you know, that's just my personal example, but it's there as a kind of, there's this um, young uh, activist who in a training group says, there's a couple of really great lines in the film that people just 
come out with. And she says during this training, it's not enough to acknowledge our privilege here. You know, we have to act on it, you know. So um, acknowledging it is fairly easy. Yeah, I'm privileged. But then so, okay, fine, because you've got all these resources, you've got money, you've got time, you've got education, you probably know quite a few interesting people, maybe you could actually do something then. Or maybe you could give up something or, or whatever. So I, I guess it's it's the journey to using your privilege a bit. What What is interesting, I, uh, I went to see your film when there was a and a afterwards with you and one of, I think, the founding figures from Extinction Rebellion and others. And, and, and you put it very interestingly, uh, and in a way kind of reassuringly, that you were saying, and you've kind of explored it a bit in our conversation, that people should target where they feel they can make a contribution. You've said, you know, as a director, a writer, and so on. That That's where you can make a difference. But if you bake bread, do something like that. But does that, in the end, lead to the kind of pressure that brings about fundamental change in government policy? Because that, in the end, is what matters. Yes, I, th- I think it. I think it does. Um, I think the main levers remain government and campaigns that sort of act directly or indirectly towards government are, you know, the main way to go. And, and certainly, most of the pressure groups um, that we've discussed and others would would agree with that. I, you know, I just think social change works, but it's work, and it, you know, uh, it takes a lot of people to do it, even if they're just doing a bit. You know, a lot of people doing a bit equates to a smaller number of people doing a hell of a lot. And we, we kind of need both of those things to happen. That's what there's a sort of tipping point where, you know, say, am I going to take this advertising job? I say to to, to my advertising guy, um, you know, five or 10 years from now, we will look back on working for an oil company as worse than working for big tobacco, which is not even legally possible now in advertising in the UK, but also is seen as like, why would you do that? I mean, you get offered jobs from other countries, fly to X, where they still have tobacco advertising. You're going to take that job? No, of course you're not. It's disgusting, right? We're going to see this that way, if not worse. You know, we might see eating meat like that in 20 years time, or who knows? So I'm just slightly at the vanguard of that, maybe more than I would have been because of the people I've been talking to. No, I really do believe in social change. I think XR really moved the needle in terms of public discourse in 2019, 2020. You know, so did David Attenborough. It was great that Greta Thunberg was there. Lots of things happened. People could see for themselves wildfires, floods, come on, right? I I think the information is out there. Most voters, including Tory voters, are very, very worried about climate and they'd like to see the government do something about it. But they themselves feel completely stymied because how can I act? What, What difference would it make if little old me something and i suppose what i want the film to say is as a kind of gateway drug no it does matter it will matter maybe it's just a conversation you have with your kids or something and maybe that's the starting point which is another thing that happens in the film yeah but it but just something rather than nothing you know yeah and and yet you you mention all those sort of developments that have taken place and i found now you know news bulletins it's been the hottest june in the uk since records began you know and people do start making connections with climate change but this other connection in terms of policy is more tricky isn't it i mean i I was saying at the beginning it seems in some ways in britain to be parochial for a moment there is a retreat uh in terms of commitment you watch that daily mail campaign about uh extending the use of petrol cars beyond 2030 having an impact at least on the tory party and possibly a timid labor party in power um, and the, the Labour Party has announced their £28 billion borrowing plans for a green recovery is going to be delayed in government. 
Johnson appeared fleetingly interested in COP. Um, Sunak seems less interested. So where is the connection between activity that you chronicle brilliantly in the film and what is happening in British politics? I know a lot's happening in America and the EU and stuff, but but, but there doesn't seem to be that connection at the moment. Well, I mean, sure. Yes, absolutely. All of that's just annoying and terrible. Um, you could look at it counterfactually, which is there, if there hadn't been these movements from 2019, um, can you imagine how much worse it would be? You know, at least there is nominally a green policy from the Tories as well as from Labour where you might expect it and so on. Uh, the, the rewinding of some of this, I think, is, is complex and has a few things going on. One is the sort of Tufton Street angle that very powerful figures and, and a lot of money is pouring in from America, where this is so much further along. Okay, and, uh, you know, making vested interests. I mean, there's $21 trillion of oil still buried in the ground. Would you give up $21 trillion if it was yours to dig up? I don't think so. So they're going to do everything they can to, to keep digging it up. Um, um, but, but just going back to what I said at the beginning, and Peter Pomerantsev um, says this brilliantly in the film, an amazing commentator now, particularly on yeah. Ukraine and Russia, but, but just on propaganda and sort of info wars in general. Um, he says it very well in, in the film, um, that this has stopped being a question of information and has become a question of feelings and therefore identities. And, you know, the identity position that um, is sort of on the up and has been for some time on the right says, you're trying to take my cars away. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a real person. I'm a real, you know, guy. I drive my truck. And you pinkos on the coasts, if you're an American, uh, you commies are trying to regulate and, and destroy wealth gathering and uh, take my car away and my stake and and my you know maybe even my my sense of my sexuality. You know the whole culture wars caboodle is there. It's a little less advanced here, but it's very very clear and it's very dangerous. And I imagine Labour are sort of thinking if we want to win an election, we need to be a bit careful. Um, we need to look like we're careful and and not not those guys over there, which I think is chicken. But, you know, that's that's my opinion. Maybe polling says differently. Good news, your favourite history nerds are back. Yes, we at We Are History have been trawling the history shelves of our local bookshops. Well, I have, John. You mostly went round finding your books and moving them to the front of the displays. If I can find them, it's a bonus. We are ready to tell you all about what we've learned, from the revolting French to some revolting women. Via some Brits abroad and a foul-mouthed Irishman. So, download We Are History. Our laughable attempt at a silly history podcast. With me, John O'Farrell. And me, Angela Barnes. Wherever you get your podcasts. Do you think there's a kind of wider message for campaigners about your use of humour? Say the film is funny, even though the subject is so deadly serious. Um, sometimes the tone of campaigners can be angry. People come away who aren't part of the campaign thinking, oh, they just want to make our lives miserable. They don't want us to fly. They don't want us to drive. They don't want us. Um, now, I know that's not the essence of the message, although it's, of course, part of the message. Uh, do, do you think some of them could use humour more to persuade? Uh, humour is often a very powerful weapon in the art of persuasion in politics, and you use it in the film but it's not often associated with these campaigns. 
Oh no, we have to. We have to use. Yeah. Well, we have to use yeah. everything we've got in the toolkit. Um, humor is one of them. I mean, there's there's a couple of kinds of main kinds of humor. One is sort of satire and irony and really mocking. Um, you know, the, the baddies, which is is great and has its place. I don't use that kind. I use a sort of warmer kind where the person you're laughing at is me. I make myself the butt of the joke so that you can kind of relate to me and go, God, this guy is a hypocrite. <laughs> and he's just interested in his own ego demands. You know, he, he still wants to be a famous film director, even though that's clearly not working out very well for him. And, and I suppose I wanted to do that partly because it's just true, but also because, you know, one of the things that's off-putting Okay, if somebody says, well, you have to protest on the streets and you think, no, that's blocking people from getting to work. That's awful. I hate these people. That's one kind of denial or disagreement. Um, but another kind is, let's say you're a left liberal and you see this sort of activism happening. You think, how wonderful. They're great. I could never do that myself, though. So the bar of entry seems to be if you want to change something that's an extinction level global crisis that we have no answers for, well, we have some answers for, but we don't know how to you know, really shift, that you then have to convert yourself to Joan of Arc. You have to become Greta Thun. You know, you have to be somebody who's completely devoted because it's an extinction level crisis. It's everything. And so then faced with that as a choice, you sort of think, well, I guess that's just not for me. I can't do that. And maybe some of them are kind of zealots or they're, you know, psychos who are really into this. Maybe that's fine and that's great, but I, I'm just an ordinary person and I can't do that. So what I hope the film slightly does is preach outside the converted by sort of saying, no, even someone as self-obsessed as me, <laughs> as egotistical as me, uh, uh, you know, white, privileged, middle-class guy can do this. And it's incremental. And conversions aren't radical. Conversions are just slightly changing where you put yourself. You're still going to be you. You just might like yourself a bit more because you spent one night a week hanging out with some other people who have exactly the same concerns as you. And then and then maybe something comes out of that. It's liberating. I wanted to show that. It's fun. It's liberating. There are challenges, but it's it's something everyone can, can do. And, and in a way, the title of the film, My Extinction, conveys both sides. You mentioned the ego side. Well, you've got me in the title, your own yep. extinction. So you've got the ego <laughs> side. But the <laughs> extinction is a terrifying word and vision. Um are you on that pessimistic side that, um, well, obviously we're in deep danger with climate change mm. and, and governments yeah. are moving very slowly and protests are intensifying as a result of that. You know, you've spent some time with activists who have immersed themselves in this, making the film. Do you end a bit more optimistic that policies will change to address it or are you very much on the extinction <laughs> the extinction wing of this debate <laughs> i mean look it's 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 you know it's um optimism of the will pessimism of the intellect right i mean yeah. there's a lot there's a lot to to worry about there are also quite a few good things that happen i i, I try to look at the counterfactual which is if there were nothing happening it would be so much worse um and so that's why we should probably try and do something so no i i, I you know i go i flip i flip around i think that's part of becoming active in any political sense is that you're going to have to have feelings of despair from time to time but I suppose what I want to say in the film is that's okay you can feel despair feel your feelings and then they'll transform and and something else will pop along rather than thinking ah I ah, ah, can't think about this too much uh, got to get the kids to school oh well someone will sort it out hopefully um so no I I there's a figure in the film uh, Danny Shine he's wonderful uh, um he's you know I 
think it's fair to call him a conspiracy theorist. He goes out with his megaphone every other day into the streets of London and tells people to stop having children. He's an anti-natalist and he believes we're basically doomed and we should hasten the end of humanity because they've caused so much destruction. So he's not an environmentalist at all. Um, he's sort of taken it to the extinction level. He's like, well, let's get on with let's it. Let's just and, get it over um, with. Yeah. 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 Which I, you know, I really, I really disavow. I think it's a terrible idea. Um, but he's there as the kind of the end is nigh guy, which is a position that we're all tempted towards, you know, to all think, well, we're screwed. So God, you know, I'll just try and enjoy my life and maybe shore up some resources for my kids and buy a big SUV because that will make me feel safer and more protected when, of course, it's just hastening the end. Great. Well, Josh, thanks so much for sparing the time. The film is on in cinemas across the UK and streaming in some capacity as well, is it? Yeah. Cinema for the moment, then yeah. in August streaming as well. It's uh, If you go to the Dartmouth Films website, dartmouthfilms.com slash myextinction, you can find screenings. A lot of them have Q&As with some really interesting people. There's some this week, there's some next week, and they'll sort of go on into August, maybe even September, and then it will be online with Curzon Home Cinema at some point as well. So please come. Great. Well, look, thank you very much. I hope our conversation has conveyed to all of you uh, the kind of experience of the film. It is funny at times while exploring the dark theme and the nature of protest and so on. Um, and uh, it is, yeah, strongly recommended. Do go along and see it in a cinema. And thank you all for listening. Thanks for Josh for giving up time in a busy, packed schedule. Uh, more, we'll be out protesting. Are you still protesting, Josh? Are you still doing it now the film's over? I do show up. I do show up sometimes. The, the film isn't over because releasing it is this whole shebang. So I guess in a way, my, my activism is, is is doing the film for the moment. Yes, but yeah, hopefully. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, thank you and all of you. And let's get together to make sense of the wild world of British politics and other forms of politics early next week. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye.